everybody, and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore, and I am not joined by Scott Nelson this week. You guys didn't expect that coming, but I am joined by uh, two excellent co-hosts. One, Mr. Bo Broadwater from the Journal Record. Hello, sir. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming back. Bo is always our pinch hitter. I texted him like this morning. Hey, what are you doing doing today? You want to come podcast? Absolutely. Appreciate you coming. And then uh, also we're joined by Megan Funderbrook. Funderbrook. Yes. Man, I have a friend whose name is might be Funderbrook. I wonder if you guys are related. That's a hard one. Well, welcome. Megan is our intern <laughs> this semester from Oklahoma Baptist University out in Shawnee. Yeah. Thanks go for bison. Go Bison. I was going to ask what the mascot is. Yes. Yeah. The OBU Bison. Nice. Bo, did you? I didn't even know they had a university in Shawnee. Really? Yeah. They used to have two. Really? Didn't they? Wasn't there? St. Greg's. St. Greg's. But it was damaged in the earthquake or something. Wasn't wasn't it that one? Um, No. I, don't, I mean, they might have been. They okay. closed in the past year. And they got bought by somebody. Like a company bought them. Hobby Lobby. Hobby Lobby bought them. Yes. This all makes sense now. You can just buy a university? Yes. I think so. Wow. Okay. <laughs> they just... Then just a printing press and churn out diplomas and... Yeah. Next thing you know, it's... Trump University. Mm. All right. Um, now we're getting into national <laughs> politics. Whoopsie daisy. Um, so today in this episode, we're going to talk about a dead man running for mayor, uh, a cost of living adjustment for retired state employees, independent redistricting. Uh, but first, let's talk about uh, Governor Stitt's request for an audit of the Oklahoma Management and Enterprise Services Department. That's right. This is our news roundup. Oh, that's the wrong button. This is our news roundup. Megan, did you know we have sound effects? I did. Okay, you listened. Yes. Excellent. This is and good. That's in- not the first time he's hit the wrong button. No, I also <laughs> that. not the first. Won't be the last today, I'm sure. On uh, for those listeners or for you guys, on Tuesday night this week, we had an event at the Tower Theater called Three Two One Council Contact, where we had three Oklahoma City City Council members and. I had it was set up like this it was our podcast and the Wafty Show podcast interviewing them, and I missed a rim shot opportunity. And Scott was like, "You miss it every time." I was like, "Well, I was doing something else. Um, I need to have it back on my iPad again. That was much more effective." So, uh, anyway, let's uh, let's get into the news roundup since I've played the music now. So, Governor Stitt earlier this week and his uh, COO. Um, requested uh, a, an audit of OMES, and they did this in response to OMES requesting more money, right? So they uh, they said, we need $16 million to finish out this year, and this year ends June 30th. And in fact, they said that we need that they needed another $7 million by this coming Monday. Otherwise, bad things would happen, but they're pretty vague about it. And... Um, this is a follow-up for them asking for $23 million back in October. And so they keep changing the number. They keep asking. Now, uh, OMES was just um, created like five years ago. Does that sound right to you? It hasn't been long. Yeah. And so this, was a, this is a state agency that's organized or created with the intent to uh, centralize a lot of the like government... Um, like administrative and mm-hmm. IT things to give them some like 
buying power, right? If they're buying computers for the whole state, for all the state agencies, in theory, they could negotiate better prices and they would kind of have everything consolidated in one department. I, my hunch is that is not how it is played out, though. I think um, some of the uh, some of the opinion in the halls of the Capitol is it's turned into just a giant money pit, and that's not my opinion. I've heard those exact words said, and so um, you know it's kind of hard to argue against that when you have a request for twenty three million a few months ago, and then sixteen million. <laughs> but I need seven million right. by Monday. <laughs> who do I who do I put these requests into? Right. Because, yeah. I've got, listen, I'll do it for half that. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Be very excited. Um, Megan, do you know much about this story? I read the article. Oh, okay. But I didn't know what the O-M-E-S was until yeah. that. No. All right. So so that's even kind of cooler. So like as someone who is just hearing this, which is probably most Oklahomans and who don't have any familiarity with this at all, what's your kind of take on it just from the little bit that you've read? Um, It's a lot of money. <laughs> yes. Um, honestly, when I first read the article, they didn't. I mean, specify. I mean, is it man- management and enterprise services? Mm-hmm. That meant nothing to me. Right. So, but you said kind of administrative. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really know what it is. Okay, so that's a really good point, and I'm gonna look at Bo since he works for a newspaper. Mm-hmm. Um, in my opinion, I feel like this is a good example of how things that are talked about in the media or something like within the government all those people know the terminology but then like the reader at home has no idea about they're just like oh, okay some state agency god they just always want money and it must be a money pit and this is why we should cut government like it perpetuates this idea that the government is overfunded um how and the journal record now being uh, a news outlet that targets to like the business community and the sure. political community. So they're probably speaking to that audience differently, which is different than us, right? Like we really try to break things down for the general public and like, what does this mean? Um, do you guys, how, I'll just ask, how do you try to, how do you walk that line of, of breaking information down so that everyday folks can, still understand what's going on sure so the journal record you know we are like you say we're a business newspaper we're a b2b paper and what i do specifically is i just i track legislation so i'm not a reporter and i'm not in the newsroom every day but you know of course i read um well not every day i try and read the paper um but you know this time of year it's really busy how we report on that information would probably be more of a business to business standpoint so um you know, a lot of the people that would probably read our articles might be familiar um, with, you know, certain terminology that mm-hmm. uh, you might come across. But, you know, the Office of Management and Enterprise Services, which you, you'll hear some people call OMS, you'll hear some people call OMES, you know, it's all the same thing. And it's, it. my understanding is kind of how you described it. It's kind of this centralized purchasing, you know, IT, you know, everything government related is is going to go through this office and so a lot of things that you know the department of education would do or the department of labor you know whatever you know those might have been pulled from those those agencies and kind of centralized um for example um with what i do specifically we went out uh the omes did a well what's it called a uh, rf yeah, RFP. RFP uh, last summer for legislative tracking services. And so I had to go through this entire process of, you know, putting in a bid and this and that. And that was for 
to become a preferred vendor for all the state agencies, but that went through OMES. And, you know, anybody that was to uh, subscribe to our services did it through that agency. And so we have to do reporting through OMES. And so it's kind of this centralized thing. This brings up a totally unrelated but interesting point to me. So do state agencies subscribe to like the the jail JRLR for legislative tracking? Uh, they should. They absolutely should. We have a wonderful state rate. And if you would like more information, <laughs> please find me. But um, well, I'm just curious as, and how I don't not to yes. strike fear in your heart, but with Governor Stitt's um, move to um, like make sure that state agencies aren't hiring their own lobbyists. Sure. Right. Um, I would, I could see them coming back and being like, well, if you don't have a lobbyist, I don't know why you're tracking legislation on your, like, even though it obviously affects them and they need to know what's up. Sure. So if you don't mind, if I could give just a quick breakdown of what we do and there are other service providers out there, um, you know, and I'm not going to talk bad about any of them, but legislative tracking, what we do is we have people in the Capitol, every committee meeting, on the floor, walk in the halls every day during session. And so that makes it really easy for somebody who might be in legislative affairs or government affairs or, you know, a hired lobbyist for these agencies, even though they're not supposed to do that anymore, things of that nature. It makes it real easy. Our job is to report out to them in real time what happens to this legislation. And so instead of having to hire, you know, 10 people during legislative session to be in every committee meeting, you subscribe to our service and we do that for you. Um, we, you know, um, again, there, there are several services out there and each of them have, you know, different, um, you know, different things that they do and, uh, uh, features and benefits, I guess would be the term that I'm looking for. Um, but you know, JRLR, we, we like to, report that out in real time. So state agencies absolutely subscribe to us because if there's a bill that, oh, I don't know, just, and I don't want to sound bad here, but if somebody in the Department of Education is supposed to report on what happens to a committee and they can't be out there, but then they get an alert on their phone, then they can report that. And that might dictate the next direction that, you know, the Department of Education takes. And so, it, you know, it's real easy to, you know, if you've got 30, well, how many bills did we have when we started this year? 2,500? 2,800, yeah. yeah. 2,800, something like that. There's no way to possibly keep track of, you know, three or 400 bills by yourself um, without some help. And so we, you know, we kind of condense that into a, you know, a user-friendly web-based system uh, for you to keep track of uh, legislation that would affect your agency. And then, of course, lobbyists subscribe to us in cities and towns and all sorts of, you know, different entities. Right. Well, that's I'm, I'm curious to see. But I mean, I totally understand why an agency would need to subscribe. Uh-huh. Right. And stay in the loop to that kind of thing. But I just think I don't think everyone at the Capitol understands why. That's probably my point. Sure. Sure. Well, you know, they're like you said, in one of the main things that um I can't think of the bill number and I just had this conversation with somebody, but um, like when they run a committee substitute or a floor substitute, I mean, you could change that bill drastically mm-hmm. in a split second. You well, know? like uh, we talked about last week, treats trigger bill. 195. Yeah. yeah. So it completely changed it 
to now it, it's going to a, a vote of the people. And that was for, through a, um, a floor sub. And so that completely changed how certain entities out there, if you will, might react to that, that piece of legislation, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And as that happened, you know, we, we're in there, we do a click of a button and it goes out to those people immediately. Right. Interesting. You know, it's the world we live in. Everything is, uh, instantaneous to where, you know, just 10 years ago, you would have had to have read about that in a paper, you know, or you would have had to been in front of your laptop. And I mean, technology is an amazing thing. I mean, we've had the service forever and it's been on online and there's been reports available, but now, you know, with real time alerts and text alerts and email alerts, I mean, you know, within seconds of what happens on a piece of legislation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I sit at home and watch my Twitter feed. I can follow along what's happened at the Capitol. All right, well, let's uh, move on from uh, OMES and state um, things there. Although I will say that the proposal is to divide or to split OMES into two agencies. One would be IT services. The other would be everything else. My hunch is they'll try to split it and then do away with the everything else branch. If not this year, then like next year. They'll try to split them because one of them, I think, serves a clear purpose. And the other one does not and is, is probably a bureaucracy in some regards. Um, so we'll see. I, you know, I would agree with that. I don't know if, you know, again, I'm, I'm not fully aware of all the happenings of OMES, but that, that would make sense to me. We have a centralized, it, we being the state of Oklahoma would have a centralized, uh, it vision, if you will, and websites, and they take care of all that and they do all the hosting and the repairs and whatever goes into all that type stuff. Um, but then maybe some of your other, duties uh, maybe clerical or administrative would go back to the agencies right right um the other article and we may have talked i know we talked about omes a little bit previously but i this one we may have been on last week as well um that the there's a push to increase to have an increase for a cost of living adjustment to the retirement pensions of retired state employees like a four percent increase and so megan do you know how these retirement accounts work i do not there's no reason you should um necessarily but um what they so it's all state employees pay into a pension fund and that everyone pays however much money per month and then when you retire you draw a portion of that per month for the duration of your retirement right it's like a defined pension plan um the problem is that ideally you have more people working than you have retired and so there's more money going in than there is going out. Plus it has interest that it generates. So that helps kind of sustain it. Um, and so there's a lot of discussion based on, will the teacher walk out and teachers getting, I don't, is that is the COLA part of the teacher thing, the teacher's retirement as well? There's like six state employees, six state employee pension plans that are part of this. But anyway, uh, Pro Tem Treat said that he wanted to do an actuarial analysis, basically to like, let's make sure that we don't give them a, a cost of living adjustment raise that would like bankrupt the plan. Like we don't want to give them, if, if we're going to increase it by 4% what we're paying out, let's make sure that we're generating enough money to cover that, um, which is probably going to rub some retirees the wrong way. Absolutely. You know, and it, it's, you know, because of the cost of living adjustment, the COLA, um, everything's getting more expensive. However, as a 
conservative, if you will, on certain things. I, I can't disagree with pro tem treat either. I mean, you don't want to bankrupt the program now, um, and, and, and it become ineffective or, you know, useless mm-hmm. without taking a look at everything. And that kind of goes back to the, you know, the OMES audit deal, you know, uh, governor, governor Stitt, he's like, well, I want to do an audit of that. I want to see where this 60 million is going. And even Senator Floyd yesterday after session, you know, she made a comment. She's like, I don't see anything wrong with that. If you're asking for $60 million, we need to know where it's going and what, you know, where's the money. Mm-hmm. And so, um, as far as the COLA is concerned, um, you know, everybody needs more money, especially people that are retired and living on a fixed budget. You know, uh, the cost of living is going up. There's no doubt about it. And if you are, you know, if you're familiar with any of the financial forecast for, you know, the next 18 to 24 months, it doesn't look good for a lot of people. And that would play into, you know, how these accounts are funded, you know, how much money they're going to make, what the return on those investments would be. And so um, I think personally, I think it's a smart move to, hey, let's take a real good look at this before we just pass something to pat ourselves on the back. Mm-hmm. I The other, I think, uh, key thing about this is that it affects retirees mm-hmm. and retirees vote. Right? Absolutely. At very high rates. And so if you, if they're like, we need a raise because medication is expensive and they all say no, that might rub some voters the wrong way. Sure, sure. But again, you want to be careful about it. And I think if you can, and that's where, you know, politicking comes into play, that you want to make sure that you get your message out there. It's like, hey, I, you know, I want to give you 4%. I want to give you 8%. I want to give you as much as possible. But we can't do that at the cost of, you know, your children and their children, you know, when they come through and they retire as they get older. Right. Um, so let's uh, shift gears from the state to the city for our third uh, article in the news roundup. And this isn't really a, an, an article so much as just a topic. And Bo, I'm glad you're here with us today for this very reason. Um, so this is coming out of Edmond there on the north side of Oklahoma City. I was driving around this week with my kids and I saw a whole bunch of green yard signs that said elect lamb. Uh-huh. And my first thought, of course, was uh, former lieutenant governor and gubernatorial candidate Todd Lamb uh-huh. is not for him. Um, it is for uh, a man named Charles Lamb, who is running for the mayor of Edmond, and he died. Um, and I think it went. Did it go to a runoff? Do you remember this? I believe so. So I think it's a runoff now. He is deceased. Um, he is still on the ballot because he died during the the process. And so proponents of of his campaign, those that are still pushing it, are trying to get him elected, um, so that then obviously he can't fill the seat because he is deceased. And so the city council would then, the, the remaining city council members would be allowed to just appoint somebody um, and rather than it being a vote of the people. Sure. So he has... Oh, my goodness. I apologize. Is that your alarm to wake up? Yes. Yes, I need to, I need to get ready for work. <laughs> um, I uh, Some of my friends that work on the morning news, like sleep from like 11 to 1 uh-huh. or 11 to 2 in the middle of the day and then they have to go back to work in the evening for a stand up and then go back to sleep at night they take like weird dual naps so for the listeners at home my son gets out of school at 3:30 and in case I'm deep in work I want to make sure that I pick him up it's 3:25 right now and so I was like oh you know if I need to go get him but I don't today so I was like do you need to leave no I don't <laughs> okay. no. um 
So anyway, so Edmund, um, some folks in Edmund are trying to elect a dead man so they can appoint someone to his seat. Um, so the Edmund Sun, the newspaper up there, has an online poll on the front page of their website that says, do you believe purposefully electing a deceased candidate on a ballot and then council appointing a candidate uh, in his place or her place is throwing out the democratic process? As of right now, 38 say yes, 17 say no. One has no opinion, which <laughs> that seems very odd to me. I'm going to take this poll, but not tell you how I feel. That's, yeah. No. Well, I mean, why, why would you even take the time to be like, yeah, I, I have an opinion that I don't have an opinion. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, 38, 17, yes. That is um, pretty overwhelming. Uh, first, Megan, how do you feel about this? Do you feel like it's circumventing the democratic process? Um, I do. I... I'm surprised that it's even a question because, I mean, if you ask a child, can you elect a dead guy as right. president or whatever? Mm-hmm. No, that doesn't make any sense. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so it just seems that not only does it not make sense, but it's not true to our democratic process. Right. Like it seems to be exploiting the loophole. Yeah. Right. Sure. Bo, you're a city council member. Correct. How do you feel about this? Um... Am I am I the person that the uh, city council is going to appoint? <laughs> That's a fair fair perspective, right? I, I, I'm kidding. So, um, as with a lot of things in this world, it boils down to money. It costs a lot of money to have an election, um, and so when uh, people. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, we, we saw this at the state level last year with, um, oh, and now I'm terrible, but there was, oh, uh, yeah, we had a bunch of turnover last year and somebody passed away yes. and, I, and I'm terribly sorry for this, but you know, it, 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 these things happen. My personal opinion on what should happen is the election should just be over. You know, that race is done and then you start all over. Um, but that's expensive. It really is. And it doesn't make a lot of sense um, from, you know, the, the financial perspective. And then with your turnout, I mean, you know, you're running one ballot with, you know, your four or five or six or 32 races that are on there. You would hope that people would be if they were going to vote for the person that has unfortunately passed on that they just wouldn't vote at that point and that the other person who has gone through the process who has earned their way to the ballot would win um but now but it's a partisan thing right correct well is and you i don't know if the mayor's race is a partisan race although even if it's not explicitly partisan on the paper i assume people Oh yeah, absolutely. Sure, absolutely. And and even even having said that, you know, someone that say there was a runoff or someone that would have run for mayor had, you know, Mr. Lamb decided not to run for mayor, you know, now they don't get their shot until the next term is up. And so uh, you know, it how do you fix it? Uh, my personal opinion is you bite the bullet on the cost, you remove that from the ballot and you go through the entire process again. In a perfect world, the person on the other side of the ticket uh, that's running against Mr. Lamb is automatically on there. And then you run through a short primary process. If you need to, you go through, um, you know, the, uh, the filing process, um, you know, so if four or five or just one person comes out and they decide to run, then that's very easy. And you can do a quick turnaround because you do want somebody in that office. 
if it's going to be a, a dragged out, you know, thing where you've got to go through a primary and a runoff and this and that, then maybe the council appoints somebody to fill that role, that position um, temporarily, maybe the vice mayor, um, if that's how Edmond City Council is run. Uh, but as far as the poll is concerned, yes, I do feel it circumvents uh, the democratic process. Um, you know, it's it's really easy, especially if, uh, you know, if, yeah, I don't know, you know, it, it, it it's just a tough, I mean, how do you fix it, you know, without legislation? It's like I've, I've got all these scenarios running through my head because whoever they appoint is probably going to be happy to be mayor. But did they want to be mayor? If they wanted to be mayor, they probably would have run for mayor. You know, there, mm-hmm. there's just so many things that go into it. Well, I think it, it there's the chance for some kind of odd collusion or something. Oh, that absolutely. Now, now the the can the council may very well appoint the other candidate, right? And sure. Say, well, you good effort, man. You it's not not your fault that this guy passed away and dropped out, but. I think they also are careful to not set precedent for all the other reasons someone might leave a ballot, right? Like, you could be on the ballot, they're all printed, they go out, um, and then there's a terrible scandal or something, and the person gets arrested, and you don't want to, you don't want to elect someone by default, necessarily, right? Like, oh, we've seen, you know, even at state level, in national level, I mean, think people that all of a sudden, under weird circumstances, have pulled out of the race, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. not necessarily due to death, but, you know, they've pulled out. But at that point, they're still on the ballot, but it's basically a default win for the other person. You know, um, I wish Edmund the best of luck figuring this out. And, you know, I hate that I hate that their mayor or candidate passed away. But, you know, it, it, it's a tough deal. My, my opinion is you you start over. Yeah. Megan, would you vote for a dead candidate? I would not. Okay. Even if you what if you had been. What if it was your dad? I feel like that would make it even more so not. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. There's I no just, right or wrong answer here, yeah, obviously. I just, I don't know how to word it. I guess if my dad was running for mayor and then he died, I would not want to continue, you know, right. he's not going to be mayor, so I don't want and substitute you know right right <laughs> i agree it's, i agree with you but that's kind of funny because you you might have that one last chance to vote for your dad I guess. you know or right, something right. i mean it's it's just weird it, you know well and here in our studio we have uh we have megan's classmate savannah is on the couch taking photos of us um out of out of view of the micro or the camera and off mic but savannah if your dad was running and he passed away would you vote for him she says no. Okay. So I'm the odd man out here. But. Well, but you're also the politician in the room. So. <laughs> um, My kids better vote for me. Let's try. <laughs> Listen, um, Megan, when you started your internship, I told you you should definitely watch the West Wing. Have you watched any of the West Wing? I have not. You've been in school. You've been busy. That's good. Yes. I assume you've been doing homework and studying. Sure. Um, I'm on my, just my second time through. How many, have you seen it a few times? So, uh, this was a show that I had heard you discuss. In fact, last year, oh, yeah, that's been a while back, you had done a West Wing watch party and I'd heard people talk about it. And I want to say it was right the week before Thanksgiving 2017. Just one night, it was cold outside and I decided to watch an episode. Um, so, the well, it was right before Thanksgiving, like that Tuesday. Did you watch the thing? Did you watch so by the end episode? Of, so, by the end of Thanksgiving break, I had seen every episode and had like no sleep 
Nice. So yes. it's a good show. So I've, I'm watching it back through and I'm on season four right now. As luck would have it, uh, part of the storyline of season four is a, uh, a candidate that is running for office and he's deceased. His campaign manager is played by Josh Molina, who's one of the hosts of the West Wing Weekly podcast. Josh, if you're listening, please come to Oklahoma City. We'd love to have you and Rishi here. And for all of our listeners, please tweet at the West Wing Weekly and tell them to come. We'll have a, a co-pod thing and it would be tremendous and i want to be here for that one yeah um <laughs> so anyway part of the not to be a spoiler alert but part of the storyline is that um josh molina is running this campaign for uh for a candidate that has died and then and they win so they actually win so then they i they end up going through the process again um and sam seaborn this is a spoiler alert if you just started the show but um sam seaborn who's the um deputy uh, communications director in the White House goes to run for this seat. They know he's not going to win um, because he's a Democrat in a very Republican district, but they want to like prove a point. And so there's a dialogue uh, that says, "You can't keep campaign, you can't keep campaigning, campaigning without a candidate," which is what Sam says to Will Bailey. And Will says, "It's a campaign of ideas." He says, "The candidate died, but not the ideas. The metaphor alone knocks me down." This is the campaign's become an embarrassment to us. It's a national joke. I'm here for the president. And Will says, I admire the president, Sam. I really do. But, but I don't work for him. <laughs> um, it's a great kind of dialogue where they sent Sam to go convince him to s- stop the campaign. And Will's like, no way. My candidate can win. And his ideas, the ideas that people support, deserve to win. And um, we're going to carry that to the end just to prove the point that these ideas are worth fighting for. And, uh, and indeed he does. You know, that would definitely send a message. You know, what that message is, whether it's the <laughs> ideas or that, uh, you know, uh, voters. I, I mean, you could twist that any number of ways. It's like, well, the voters don't know what they're doing. You or, know, um, they're also, not paying attention. If you're the other candidate and you lose to a dead guy, I feel like you'd be like, I never mind. Don't appoint me. Yeah. If people like me less than someone who's not even alive anymore. Right. Yeah, but there are people out there who will vote for that j- person just to do it. Just, uh, yeah, well, I mean, you know, like folks that voted for Kinky Friedman for governor of Texas back a while back. You know about this? No, no. All right, <laughs> no. <laughs> Kin- Kinky Friedman is a is a musician and a bit of a legend in uh, in Texas, and he ran for governor. Gosh, twenty ish years ago, mm-hmm. and his campaign slogan was "Vote Kinky." Why the hell not? Um, and he was just like, I can't be any worse than these other guys. And um, he's an old like country musician. He's a Jewish man. He always had a cigar and uh, just a real character. He uh, he did not win, obviously, but it was uh, it was pretty funny, just kind of seeing him shake things up there. Kind of like uh, Joe Exotic. Oof, that's a. I thought about putting that on our news roundup, but I couldn't bring myself to do it. Hmm. Yeah, there was a lot. And speaking of news roundup, there is actually, and I. I didn't read where it was from, but there are two guys running for an office. I want to say it was in Canada, maybe. I don't. I could be wrong. Eh? But they both have the exact same name. Ooh, spelling and everything. Really? And so I, it was just on like the Twitter moments earlier, and I saw it, but I didn't, you know, read. I'll see if the I can story. I'll try to find that story and yeah. stick it in the blog post with this, just for the fun of it. Also, I've been looking at vacationing in Canada this summer, so. 
I want to do one. So I've never been on a cruise and everybody wants to do the cruise to the Bahamas. I want to go up to yeah, like Alaska. Alaska yeah. yeah. That's the only cruise I'd go on. Yeah. I don't, I've had friends that have uh, been on cruises. Megan, have you been on a cruise? I haven't. Me either. But I had a friend that was on one that was, that was attacked by pirates. Like, <laughs> what? really? Yeah, like they stopped the boat. They boarded the, boarded the ship, had everyone come out on the deck. They had to sit down. And there was, I forget how many, but they like had machine guns. This was in the Caribbean and like took all their watches and all their cash and that kind of stuff and then held them for most of a day. Yeah. Um, and then negotiated this with the Coast Guard or whatever and then got in their boat and left. And so their cruise was refunded, but they were out a bunch of money. And I was like, and this was in the 90s. I mean, it was not. Even those, maybe yeah. the Somali pirates, that was the whole yeah. thing. We apologize for the disruption. Here's a ticket for another cruise. Yeah. <laughs> Come back again, pirate free. Yes. Um, we hope. All right, let's take a very um, brief musical interlude and we'll be back to discuss independent redistricting. All right, we're back. <laughs> Megan is set uh, patiently while we, uh, Bo and I, debated the finer points of uh, dead guy election. Um, Megan, last week, um, part of your internship assignment was mm-hmm. to write a blog post about redistricting. Um, tell us a little bit, like, maybe start off with what is redistricting? All right, so news to me as of a couple of weeks ago when I started <laughs> this um, research for this blog um so every 10 years um united states government takes a census um uh, mandated by the constitution following this census um comes the duty of the legislator to redraw district lines for the purpose of population changes keeping those populations even among districts um reassigning um representatives based on those population changes um but redrawing those district lines to keep to keep with the times basically keep with the changes right so um why is this important um it's a complicated issue for one but basically the redrawing of your district lines determines um who also is voting with you in your within your district and um based on how those lines are drawn, um, the interest that your representative will then care about. If you're drawn together with people of like minds, um, you're going to have like interests, um, and your representative will represent those interests. Um, But it can also be used to draw lines um, that don't represent those interests well, whether that be for partisan interest or things like that um so redistricting is important because it determines how you vote and who you're voting for right and who you're voting with so i i love that you have just in framing that right there it's i know i assigned this to you but i'm learning things as we go um the way that you framed it is from the perspective of the voter right like you said um who votes with you and I had, I'll be honest, I had not even thought about redistricting in those terms. Um, I think I had been thinking about it from the top down, right. which is probably how most legislators and elected mm-hmm. officials do, right? Of like, who's going to vote for me because they're thinking about protecting themselves or their seat. 
but thinking about why it's important to voters um, is to think about like, yeah, so you, where you live and the people who are around you and your similar interests, your communities of interest. Um, so how do you and your folks get to vote to support, to elect someone that represents you? That to me like bespeaks a sense of community that we've probably lost, mm-hmm. right? Like I don't, I guess when I go vote, I'm thinking about who I want to represent me, but I think less about who I want to represent my community. Right. And I should think more community minded like that. That's a, that's a new thought to me. Um, so how, how is it done right now? Currently, um, redistricting is left up to the legislator, but that looks different, um, in every state. So, um, the majority leaves it solely majorities of states, I think all but 22 or 23. Um, it's solely in the hands of the legislature. So, um, they, you are, they're essentially drawing the lines, choosing the voters that will then vote for them. Um, but in those 22 or 23 other states, um, there's been a lot of changes, a lot of um, movement towards new ideas. Um, so a lot of them use some type of commission, whether that's, um, I think, I'm going to forget the word for it. Oklahoma currently has a commission only used in the case that we can't come to an agreement within the legislature. Um, other states mm. use independent commissions um, where whether that's independent people or um, some from each party, both parties that are represented, they get to the job of redistricting. So it does look different for every um, state, but yeah, which is the legislature. Yeah, um, I know that you listened to the um, gerrymandering series from 538, their politics podcast. They have a new episode out today really? about... Um, can you use statistics to avoid gerrymandering or to fix gerrymandering? It was really good. This mathematician um, woman was on there and it was, she was a hoot. It was really fascinating. And I thought about you, so you should definitely listen to it. Bo, you too. Well, I, I, I will. This is, this is a subject <laughs> that, you know, especially with uh, the recent um, trend purple, in the Oklahoma City metro area, if you will. You know, so a lot of traditionally red seats in the metro areas have have gone blue, you know. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, District 87, uh, where I currently live, which is uh, Representative Colin Walkie, was held by Representative Nelson uh, for, I think, 10 years, maybe 8, 10 years before that. Something like that, yeah. but, you know, so Representative Griffin, Dunnington, um, oh, 80, uh, either way, you know. Dolans. It, yes, Dolans. Bennett. And, and Munson, Munson, you know, yep. that flipped uh, red to blue, if I'm not mistaken, when they did that. I'm not for sure on the others. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, that trend, So, but yet the Oklahoma legislature is still a supermajority red. So, you know, how is that going to play into, even though you have – you know, an overwhelming Republican legislature, your big, huge districts, uh, you know, for your, uh, your congressional areas are, 
are going purple or blue from a state level. So, you know, I'm really interested to see how these lines all break down, what that would do to the fifth, you know, are we going to get a sixth district? Um, And then I, I, this is something that I could probably Google really quick. What happens if those lines are redrawn and you're not within those lines again? You know what I mean? But you happen to be like a Senator on a six year, like if you don't live, that's a good question. You know what I mean? Do you know the answer to this? Like if, you are drawn out of your own yeah, district. Yeah, yeah, like if you're in the I, middle of your term. I don't know what happens, but I have read examples. I think I don't want to misquote the facts, but I read something in the Brennan Center for Justice does like whole redistricting resource. Um, Illinois, when Obama was running for senator there, ran against um, the incumbent, lost, but did surprisingly well. Um, was had high hopes for doing well in the next election census was in between the elections mm. which meant redistricting was in between those elections and he was cut out of that district mm-hmm. and so in this new district that he was now living in he had no hopes of winning right so it happens i don't know what happens if you when that happens right so i mean i because i think if you because they take effect in the next election, but it's not where everyone is elected. So if you're a senator serving like a six-year term, sure, yeah, you'd be there. I know. I mean, I suppose you. I mean, I, they don't all live here anyway. Let's let's be honest. I mean, they if they're in Washington, they're in Washington. But, oh, like for for federal U.S. Yeah, you folks. know. Yeah, but it's like but I'm thinking of like uh, you know Senator State Senator Julia Kurt that we had on the show a few weeks ago sure. that lives down the street from me. Yeah, if they. If they divided um, Senate District 30, be, which is a weird shaped district, it's like a big letter C through the metro. So like, it's like I heard uh, my favorite was a microscope. Looks like a microscope. Yeah, it does. Yeah. I mean, I'm at like 23rd in May, mm-hmm. um, and then my sister lived out in uh, in West Bethany by Lake Overholzer, was also in District 30, but then like friends up in the village ish mm-hmm. were like also in it, and I was like, how does that? Yeah. How does that work? So, um, so if they cut off part of it like i would be kind of on one end they could theoretically cut it off and they could cut it where she's not in it anymore um and and but she just started her term sure yeah you know so the big complaint against it is obviously you know for the the minority party which whether that's republican or democrat it's like when you draw these lines typically you try and do it in such a way or so they are accused that your party maintains that power over the next 10 years. Well, that's going to be really easy to do probably out towards Weatherford and, you know, the panhandle, but Oklahoma city or Oklahoma County and like Tulsa, that's what it's like. How could you possibly do that? And as a conservative, a registered Republican in the middle of Oklahoma City, like you said, from a community standpoint, it's like, I'm curious how that would play out because there is nobody at the legislature around that's around my area that, you know, is a Republican. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, I think. No, actually, Rep- District 100 out there Stark, is. Stark. Yeah, mm-hmm. Representative Stark is. But, you know, that's, I mean, one out of the metro i mean mm-hmm. i can't think of another republic well but treats out there too i mean you've got well like a representative oh right in the house. oh yeah right, you know i mean all the house districts there right that aren't but but also there's i mean there's a chance bo that you are in a community where you're the minority 
It's very possible. And that's fine. You know, I don't mind, you know, I don't want to be surrounded by a whole bunch of people that think just like me, you can't grow that way. But when it comes to certain things that, you know, you want your, your views and your, your ideas to be represented at the, at the Capitol, you know, how do you go about doing that? Mm-hmm. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, I, I know Representative Walkie, my representative. I know uh, Senator Kurt, you know, my senator, and have great relationships with both of them. But that's two examples right there to where both of those districts were Republican mm-hmm. before they were elected. Right. Now, you know, just because I'm a Republican, I'm probably pretty moderate, and I think both of them are too. But, you know, what if, you know, what if, that wasn't the case. Right. What if one of them passed away and a real extreme <laughs> person was on the ballot? Bo wants to be appointed. To yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, and that's, I mean, that's certainly always possible. So in, in this week's episode of the 538 Politics Podcast about algorithms and, uh, and math and, and gerrymandering, they talk about the different ways that communities of interest are defined. Because there's like surveys where they go out and talk to people and they ask like, who is like you and what, how do you think we should group the people that live around here and what are the common threads? And they, they interview, you know, thousands of people to try to glean some of the information. And some, as Megan, as you said, some States have rules where like you have to keep counties whole, right? Well, like that's ridiculous in Oklahoma, like Oklahoma County is clearly going to be divided among a few things. But I mean, at the congressional level, it's, I think all of Oklahoma County is contained in CD5. It's like Oklahoma and Seminole, or is it just most of Oklahoma County? Uh, There's some counties that are enormous too. I mean, like think about Western Texas. There's some huge counties out there that are not, not going to be contained. You're going to have to divide them. And also I think county is a weird way to, that's not a community of interest necessarily. I've looked at so many maps for just, personal research that I've been doing here lately. I'm not, I, I, you know, I don't know with 77 counties, you know, with only five districts. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. Is CD five, does CD five contain all of Oklahoma County? I should know we that, should know this, but yeah. I, I don't off the top of my head. We'll look it up later. Um, I, I'll, I've got that app on my phone. I can look it up there. Um, Megan. So, so you said Oklahoma right now has a commission that's only a backup commission that we use it in case we can't agree? Yes. Based on what I read, it was something that was um, ballot or it was this initiative from the 2010 census. Okay. But it's basically it's a, from that. basically a partisan system right now, except in this mm-hmm. extreme yes. situation. Yes. Um, is there, you mentioned that there are some states that have independent commissions. Yes. Um, what does that look like? And is that a good idea? Um, it looks different for every state that does it, but for the most part you'll have, um, members from oftentimes members that aren't part of the legislature, but, um, that are appointed by the legislature, um, from each party. Um, and then along with um, and independents, um, a few independent members, and then usually some type of moderator or, um, organizer for the commission. Um, I would say that, yes, they are a good idea. I think that it takes away some of the, I mean, obvious conflicts of interest that come with drawing lines, um, but also gives a well-rounded voice in the commission. Um, 
Yeah. Nice. I, I I would agree. I think, you know, it needs to be, a, a, when it comes to conflict of interest, I think when it comes to drawing, you know, boundaries, that it should not be the case. I, I you know, I think that needs to be left up to people who can look at it from a, especially in today's day and age, in, if I'm not mistaken, when they do the census, you know, which is constitutionally mandated, don't they have to still go door to door? to do that isn't that one of the things that um you know it's like you actually have to go and knock on every door in america and you know do the, and i may be way off there but i i, I, I think, swear i'd heard that somewhere i think for the 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 decennial census right that's every 10 years mm-hmm. i think the goal is to knock on every door they do there's ongoing census work like the american community survey and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff that's done by mail but yeah once every 10 years they they go door to door. I mean, think how inefficient that is. I mean, really, yeah. in today's day and age. Now, um, you know, the argument for that would be to make sure that you count everybody and that you, um, you know, if there are people who might not be here as citizens um, or that people aren't counted twice, you know, I, you know, but there's just got to be a better way to do it. And, even beyond the actual counting of people, you know, if you get, you know, in Oklahoma, whatever it is, you know, 4.6 million people say we just do it for Oklahoma. There's gotta be a, I mean, it, can we not, I mean, I can order food and watch movies and have my schedule, my oil change with my phone. You, you telling me we can't have an app that'd be like, okay, this is the fairest way to divide the population, you know, amongst you know, the representatives. I just, I, I don't get that. You know, now I'm not a newly elected, you know, state representative that has been appointed to that commission, if you will, that wants to save my seat. So, you know, but sitting here, it just seems like there should be an easier way to do this, you know, but that's coming from a guy who doesn't know how apps work. So, <laughs> right. So, uh, Bo, I'm curious, how are your city council districts drawn? Who draws those? I think it's based off the census. Um, so, you know, it's uh, right now we have four wards that are all equally um, kind of the same thing, you know, equal uh, amount of citizens within each ward. In War Acres, we actually have two city councilmen per ward. So, you know, even though we're a, a very small city, we have you have an opportunity in your ward uh, you could in, you know, you could have people of varying views. Um, so it's almost like two representatives per district at a state level, if you will, Mm -hmm. or something like that. But, uh, you know, so it's, uh, uh, you know, war acres, I doubt it's going to change. We're landlocked, you know, our population can't change a whole lot. And, you know, so it's just bulldoze it all and build apartments. Mm -hmm. No comment. (laughs) (laughs) Um, all right, Megan, um, any final thoughts? Like, after doing all the research you did um, for the blog post, which is great, and I encourage all of our listeners to go read it. I will link to it in the post from this, but if you just go to letsfixthisok.org slash blog, you'll find it there. It's called Independent Redistricting, a Primer. What's the like top three takeaways you had after doing this? It's complicated. Okay. <laughs> I think there's... Um temptation to make it more simple than it is but ultimately it's a very complicated issue that takes a lot of hard work from whoever is in charge of doing it um so there's that um 
it's more important than I ever would have thought mm-hmm. it was possible. I mean, I didn't know what it was, but, um, it's not something it's very you know technical kind of like not necessarily like hot topic issue. It's not very interesting, I guess, if you look at it that way. Um, but it is important and it makes, can make a big difference based on very little, you know, um, differences in the lines. Um, but, um, I was looking, I, I think, this is from our Oklahoma Constitution in regards to how we draw our lines, but consideration shall be given to population, compactness, area, political units, historical precedents, economic and political interests, contiguous territory, and other major factors to the extent feasible. That's a lot of mm-hmm. factors mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> to consider. Yeah. And also how much value do we give to which of those factors and how much of that is, you know, be determined on a, you know, state by state basis and things like that. So, yeah, it's been a journey. Yeah, in in your blog post, um, and I think we had we had talked about this. You linked to a game, yes. like a redistricting game that you can play online. Um, did you play it yourself? I did. I got. I spent a lot of time the other night <laughs> playing. The first couple of levels are easy because it's like basically keep it the way it is. Like make sure all the incumbents are protected, and then the next one's like keep it so that the parties keep their share but then you have to like do one that complies with the voting rights act and so you have to create a new district that is a certain percentage african-american and out of there's four districts on the screen you have to like draw a fifth district in there it they have a little cartoon like um incumbents and they have the party representatives and they have the governor weighs in and then the courts and you have to get past all those hurdles and it took me like three or four times because i was like oh this is this is well. One of them, I it was not contiguous because it was right. by, behind mm-hmm. one of their faces and I couldn't see it. And I was like, "Oh, that was a silly mistake." So I fixed it, which of course threw off population size. Mm-hmm. And so I fixed population size, and that threw off racial um, like uh, representation. So I just kept like shifting everything, um, and it was really even though I I know or I thought I knew the basic premise of redistricting, um, it like hit home how hard it is for four tiny districts yeah. that have some like, you know, there's like some rural areas some urban areas. And, um, it was really kind of a, a fun, but also complicated and frustrating mm-hmm. exercise. So, yeah. Oh yeah. I'll definitely, you know, throw, throw myself under the bus on my ignorance on the issue. I, I mean, I get how complicated it can be. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is a, a very huge, huge deal and it, it affects people. Um, you know, so my comments about it, I wish we could have an app to do it. I know that would never happen because you, you've got too many interested parties involved. You but there know? are some, I mean, there are some algorithms and some software packages mm-hmm. out there to make it a lot easier. I bet Mark Zuckerberg probably already has something figured out. I don't trust that guy. But uh, Dr. <laughs> Keith, Keith Gaddy at OU, um, the, the poli sci, um, he couldn't uh, make it today, but we're going to have him on either next week or the week after to talk about this because he has a software program that is um, under f- kind of, well, it's um, it's been used for evil, right? Like uh, in Wisconsin, I think. I feel like it's Wisconsin in the, the gerrymandering case up there where it, it looks at the um, like relative partisan slant of a given district and how they, you can like, I guess you can use it to like go down to like the individual house level and adjust 
the partisanship of a certain district and to kind of redraw it. So yeah, he he was involved in that case, wasn't he? Didn't he? Or am I thinking? I'm sure else? they called him as a as a um, witness to testify about his. Has he been on your podcast before? No, not yet. Mitchell's okay. had him on some stuff. Though. That's where. I, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's where I heard. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, Megan. Um. What's what's our next topic that we're gonna not today, but that you're working on for blog posts? And we talked about automatic voter registration and open primaries. Yes. Have we decided which one you're doing next? I think open primaries Ooh. was just the next one. The next one on the list. Yeah. That sounds exciting. Yeah. Good luck, Oklahoma. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um. There's several ways to do that as well. Uh, Megan has also been very helpful. She has updated our legislative contact list that's on our website. If you go to the resources tab. It has all the legislators, their um, their office phone number, their Twitter handle, their Facebook page, If for those she could find, their email address. Um, it's a Google Doc, so you can uh, view it on there, click it, share it. It's free. Um, it's all public info. We just put it in one convenient place. Megan, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Bo, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. At Bo Broadwater is not on that list, but I would appreciate a follow. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Megan, are you, do you want to share your Twitter handle? I can never remember what no, it is. <laughs> I'll, I'll look through our, our thread. We've got a, I've tagged you at some point. Yeah. Um, also, as a, a reminder to everybody that on May 4th, we have our A Night to Remember, our, our prom for adults fundraiser for Let's Fix This. Tickets are on sale now. Go to letsfixthisok.org slash prom. Um, prices will increase on April 1st, so uh, be sure to get them this weekend while you can. Also, uh, on April 1st, we're going to announce our three couples that are competing for prom royalty. They're all fantastic people. They're great couples and very exciting, so um, vote with your wallets in this case, <laughs> quite literally. Uh, and that's it. Be sure to uh, rate us on Apple and other websites that have rating for podcasts. And better than that, tell a friend. If all of our listeners would tell one friend this week about our podcast and get them to subscribe, that would be tremendous for us. We would all have a more informed electorate and hopefully make better decisions. All right, have a great week.